Hello and welcome to Stuff That Interests Me with me, Dominic Frisby. Now, if the subject of libertarianism comes up and it's being discussed on the internet, one of the champions of that subject and a man you'll usually find at the forefront of the discussion is a man who used to go and still does go by the name of Dollar Vigilante. He is the Dollar the, the dollar Vigilante. He is, of course, Jeff Berwick. So, Jeff, well on the programme. We Thank first you. met at a mining conference in Toronto and I, I want to say 2012, 2011, 2012, something like that. And it was just as the bear market in gold and silver and mining was just getting started. And I kind of remember up until that point, you sort of thought that, you know, the dollar would unravel, that fiat currency was going to unravel and that gold and silver uh, were the solution. And then gold and silver and mining all unraveled. But as they were unraveling, um, something else was raveling and the thing that was raveling was Bitcoin, the sort of digital answer to gold and silver. Um, when did you first find out about Bitcoin? I first found out about it in 2011 and I was actually at uh, Doug Casey's ranch in uh, Argentina yeah. called La Estancia de Capajate. And the first person who told me about it, it's one of those, uh, you remember the moment when someone tells you about the internet or yeah. JFK or whatever it is. And uh, we were around a campfire and he said, have you heard about Bitcoin? And I said, no, what is it? And he told me and I went, well, that sounds really interesting. But I was like your typical person, like, well, I have to see it to believe it sort yeah. of thing. And uh, another guy by the name of Trace Mayer, who's actually very, fairly well known in the crypto community, uh, was also there. And he said, I'll give you your first Bitcoin. And so I opened up uh, my laptop and I went to blockchain.info. I opened an account and within two seconds I had my Bitcoin number. And I was like, wow, that's easier than opening an account at a yeah. bank. And uh, he sent me three Bitcoin, which at the time was $3 a Bitcoin. So um, uh, <laughs> 18 or 21 grand today. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and it went beep right on my laptop. I went, whoa, that's fast. And uh, I said, now what can I do with it? And he said, well, you know, there isn't a lot of stuff on the internet yet where you can buy things. But he had an e-book store of his own. So I actually ended up giving him back his three Bitcoin, which is pretty savvy on his part. <laughs> and so all within about a minute. And you bought a book off him? Yeah. Which book? Uh, one, I think one of his books, uh, Running to Gold or something. He's a big gold okay. guy. Yeah, yeah, he was. Uh, but uh, within a minute of uh, hearing about Bitcoin, opening an account, getting Bitcoin and buying something was about one minute. And at the end of it, I went, whoa, this changes everything. And then I spent months and I still to this day look into it. It's kind of complicated how it all works. Yeah. Uh, but once I understood it within a few months, I, 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 I said, this is going to change the world. OK, I was sort of. I've looked in my emails to see the first email I had mentioning Bitcoin. The very first one I got was from a newsletter called the Privacy Freebooter or something like that. And that was December 2010. Well, wow. And that was when I, so that was obviously when I first read about it. And I remember like you just thinking, oh, that sounds good. But at the time, and, it, and I looked back at when the price was in December 2010, it was 20 cents. <laughs> oh my God. But at the time I was so heavily into gold and gold and silver and I just was so convinced they were the answer that I, I wish I'd researched it more than I did. I, I ended up writing, I think, the first book about it, 2013, 2014. But I wish I'd found out about it earlier. And the reason I wrote the book about it was because I was annoyed with myself for not investing in it sooner. Um, and the book was kind of like a, like a catch-up train. Mm -hmm. But I think that's really valuable, is, is just having somebody sit next to you and just show you how it works. I think that, that got a lot of people started. 
Yeah, it's one of those things that it's really difficult to explain. It's sort of like um, there's a great clip on YouTube of the Today Show in the U.S. in 1992 or 1993, and they had just heard about email. Oh, yeah, I've seen it with the at symbol. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they're like, well, what's that symbol mean? And it's like, what, how, like, how do I get it without the postman uh, coming to my house? And again, with email, you just have to start using it. And then once you start using it, you're like, oh, this is great. Now, you could even talk to people today. 99% of people have no idea exactly how email works. They don't know all the technicalities of how it goes through TCP, IP, through different servers and ports and all that sort of thing. So Bitcoin's very much the same way. It's, it's almost impossible to explain to someone. You kind of just have to show them. And once they see it, then they can understand. And when did you go to your first Bitcoin conference? That's a good question. Um, the first few times I talked about Bitcoin at a conference was at gold shows, because I used yeah. to speak at a lot of them. And uh, I remember I did one called Bitcoin Bullets and Bullion, uh, the Anarchist Toolkit to Surviving the Coming Collapse. And that was around 2012 in Vancouver. And everyone looked cross-eyed at me when I talked about Bitcoin. Yeah. And a lot of people were kind of angry about it. And uh, I think I spoke at a Bitcoin conference maybe 2013 in uh, maybe might have been the Texas Bitcoin conference. Yeah, um, that might have been the first time. Because what you find is there is a shared worldview at both gold and silver conferences and at Bitcoin conferences. The big difference is that I'm 49. I probably look a bit older. But the if I go to a gold conference, and particularly you know 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I was the youngest guy there. When I go to Bitcoin conference, I'm the oldest guy there. And it's really, a, it's, a, it's the same worldview, but a generational difference. And all the gold bugs were saying, yeah, well, all you need to do is put gold on the blockchain. And it's, you kind of, no, no, it doesn't, doesn't work like that. And I think a lot of people got disillusioned with the whole kind of collapse of fiat money argument after gold and silver started falling, certainly in the over 40s, over 45s, after about 2012. But if anything, the, the whole argument just got stronger and Bitcoin ended up doing everything that gold and silver was supposed to do. Yeah, uh, it's been fascinating for me to watch the difference between Bitcoin and gold and how it's changed over the years. Um, the gold people used to just absolutely hate Bitcoin and even up until recently, I think I spoke at a gold conference a year and a half ago and there was one guy and he was booing. He was, Seriously? Yeah, he's like 80 years old, he's at the back and he, kept shaking his head, he's like, ah. But it's the same worldview, isn't it? It's the same. That's the thing, like, it's just a different uh, approach to basically what we're all talking about. Um, and, you know, I did not think Bitcoin and cryptos would rise as fast as they have. I did not think we'd be at this point right now where a lot of people are questioning if it actually replaces gold and silver. And I did a, when Bitcoin hit $20,000 in December of last year, I did a YouTube video the day before, and I said it's time to to take profits on on Bitcoin and cryptos and to buy some precious metals. Uh, I saw your. I read it. You read an article saying the same thing on Steemit. You posted yeah. an article. On, I read it. I yeah. remember reading it. And if you go and you can look at the video, it's called basically uh, it's time to get out of uh, crypto and into gold. It was in December. If you go to the YouTube comments, all of them were so angry. And it was everyone's saying, you're crazy. Gold is going to zero. Uh, gold is never going to go up again. Bitcoin is going to a million dollars. It was sort of like the peak of the crypto yeah. market at the time. 
But it was shocking to me because only two years before that, anytime I'd write about Bitcoin, it'd be all gold people all telling me they're unsubscribing from my channel, I'm crazy, Bitcoin's a scam, all this sort of thing. So it's amazing how quickly that all changed, but really they're, they're, they're two uh, uh, useful things for the same purpose, which yeah. is getting ready for this collapse of the fiat currency system. Well, and I think when you, make an, when you choose to make an investment, you have to sort of subscribe to the worldview of whatever the investment is. You know, you have to go, this company's great, it's going to do this, this and this. You kind of have to almost fall in love with the investment a little bit. And so I guess the anger is when you're, it's like splitting up with a girlfriend. You're like, you're the guy who got me into this. And now you're saying, you know, so it's a, it's a bit like a breakup. But <laughs> do, you still, do you still subscribe to the whole kind of collapse of fiat currency argument because oh, let me let me put another argument mm -hmm. to you is, is it's not so much that it's going to collapse mm. it's that I mean we've just come from a blockchain conference now and you hear some of the things you see some of the things that these companies are doing and you just think it's not that it's going to collapse it's just going to create an entirely new market it's just going to be so much bigger and so much better that it's just going to be overtaken it's it's not so much like you know the New York Times is still there but it's just people the internet is better <laughs> I, I, uh, the one thing I would say to that is just the debt levels now um, make this entire system un unsustainable, really. Something has to break uh, one way or another fairly soon. We have the U.S. government over $21 trillion in debt right now. When Barack Drombomber became president in 2008, uh, it was like $9 trillion. So it's like up more than 100% in the last 10 years. And Trump will double it again. He has not slowed it down whatsoever. He's yeah. starting Space Force. <laughs> need more military. <laughs> Uh, and um, yeah, there's no intent at all to even slow it down. And you really almost can't. It's basically, you just have to keep going until it breaks now. Uh, Japan's even in worse shape. Yeah. It has like 350% debt to GDP. Yeah. Uh, it, Europe's a mess. Everywhere's a mess. Everywhere's bankrupt, basically. The only way any of them are staying alive is they just keep printing enough money so that they can keep printing up, up enough to pay for the interest, which they've held artificially incredibly low for a long time now, uh, 1%, even negative interest rates over the last few years in Europe. This can't go on too much longer. Something is going to have to break. I hear you. <laughs> I subscribe to the argument. But that's, it's been like this since... For, you know, people were saying this in the 90s. Well, really, the, the beginning of the end started in 1913 with the founding of the Federal Reserve. And the U.S. dollar has been in a state of collapse ever since then. It's down about 96% from then. The real end of this system began on August 15, 1971, when they took the gold backing away from the dollar. Since then, we've been in a completely fiat fractional reserve banking system run by communist-style central planners in, in central banks. Uh, it is amazing it's lasted this long. And uh, there was some people who said it was going to fall apart in the 70s and the 80s. I wasn't really one of those people. Well, I wasn't even around at that time. I was born in How 1970. I'm 47. Okay. So I was born in 1970. You look better than me. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but um, uh, people like Doug Casey were saying around the 1990s that we're very close. Um, and actually, we came very close in 2008. Apologize for the phone here. It's okay. It's uh, my agent. <laughs> See if my wife can figure out how to answer it. Uh, but uh, it came very close to all collapsing in 2008. And they just printed it over again with trillions and trillions and trillions more of new money. You can't just keep doing that. When we have the next collapse, it's going to have to be hundreds of trillions of dollars to save the whole thing. Very quickly, this all goes into hyperinflation. Now, will it happen in the next couple of years? 
I, when I started Dollar Vigilante, it was 2010. I said by 2020, these fiat currencies will collapse. Now, I've only got about a year and a half left here. I'm actually not thinking I'm too far off still. It's, it really could all come off the rails very easily. There's too much debt. Everything's so highly leveraged. All it takes is one thing, and the whole uh, house of cards comes crashing down. Now, it could kind of muddle through uh, some sort of crash. And yeah, the US dollar might still be here 10 years from now. But it will be almost like uh, barely worth anything anymore to the point that uh, it's almost pointless. Um, a lot of those banks aren't going to be here. Actually, most of the banks are starting to realize crypto is going to destroy their whole model. Plus, not to mention, the central banks and governments all want to issue their own version of digital currency, which will actually just pretty much get rid of the banks on their own, the, the regular commercial banks. Uh, so we're going to go through massive changes. How those changes happen is going to be interesting, but you can always count on the fiat currencies going down in value every year. They will never really go up in value, not in real terms. Yeah. Um, but and, the way and that will continue. If you like, the reason people get more worried about bad news than they do about good news is that good news, like the, the steady improvement of the world, the growth in productivity, all these improvements, That's different. it happens gradually. It's a sort of an incremental thing. And if you look at, say, where we are now, 2018, and you look at, compare that to 1998, like in London, the capital of the world, mm -hmm. we, we barely had dial-up broadband in 1998. And we certainly didn't have smartphones and all the amazing, you know, you just compare the world in, over that 20 years and the transformation is incredible. Mm -hmm. But it's gradual, so nobody notices. Mm -hmm. But when there's a terrorist attack or there's a this or there's something happens, you know, you know, a politician gets in trouble, whatever it is, you know, it's sudden. So you notice the bad news and it kind of punctuates. Now, what's happening with fiat currency, I suggest is kind of the reverse of that in that the... The, dev the devaluation, the gradual loss of its purchasing power, it is gradual, it's 5% a year, you know, 4 5% a year versus 2% interest rates or whatever the thing is. So you lose that 3 or 4% every year. And it, but you don't notice it because, because of that gradual thing. But then if you sit back and said, in 1998, I could have bought this. You know, I could buy a house in London for £100,000. Now a house in London is £2 million. You know, that, that transformation. So can this not this sort of gradual, slow-burning frog thing, can't that just go on? Uh, I think anything is possible. I think the chances of that uh, happening much longer is almost impossible mathematically at this point. Uh, just look at all the numbers. The, like I said, the U.S. debt has doubled, more than doubled in the last 10 years. That's, that's insane. If interest rates even rose to 5-10%, that'd be the entire tax. But they won't. Uh, well, we'll see what happens. And if they do artificially manage to hold it all low at 0% forever, we're going to start to enter into hyperinflation very quickly. So one th interesting thing you did bring up, though, that I thought was very interesting, and I thought a lot about this too, is there's been such technological progress over the last 20 years that it's actually masked a lot of the problems. If we didn't have the internet, for example, if yeah. the internet just never even got born, and we're still on fax machines, like the amount of things that we can do today just from our phone is unbelievable. It's things that would have taken me months I can do in a couple of hours on my phone now. That has increased the productivity dramatically over the last uh, 20, 30 years. So that's masked a lot of what's been stolen away from the, the, uh, the money printing and things like it that. It has, and that happened, it happened in the Industrial Revolution after Napoleonic Wars. Britain was, and, and well, France had their debt wiped out effectively, but Britain was in so much debt. And it was unpayable, but it got away with it because of the Industrial Revolution, improved productivity so tremendously that we, it masked it. And I guess something similar happened in America after the Civil War as well.
But um, or even after World War II, so much yeah. uh, development there. Uh, so th these things can be masked, but they can't be held back forever. Uh, there's just a mathematical point where how much debt can the U.S. government have possibly, right? It's going up so much. Fifty uh, trillion. Fifty, is that the maximum? Well, I, at the rate that we're going, it looks like it's about two a year now. So you've got, okay, 20 more years. But then it kind of Well, it Bush doubled it, Obama <laughs> doubled it, so Trump will double it. Yeah. So I reckon you'll be at 50 in eight years, assuming uh, Trump wins the next election. Yeah, well, we'll see if we even make it that far. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the amount of debt that everyone's in, it's just it's unbelievable. It's extraordinary. Um, so what do you, I mean, just tell me about yourself. What do you do on a kind of, you obviously, you're an investor and you go around the world speaking. What kind of, what, describe a, what, what, what's going on in, to you in, in September? What are you doing over the month of September? Uh, September is a pretty busy month. I just got back from Burning Man. I wanted to go check that out uh, in the US. Uh, it's uh, 90,000 people with no government go out to the desert for a week. Did you speak or were you just... I actually did speak at it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, so that was interesting. Then I'm here for the World Blockchain Summit. Uh, then I'm going to travel a little bit with my wife, uh, go to Copenhagen, Iceland. Then I'm getting remarried uh, on the third week of September. And then I leave immediately after that to go speak in Perth, Australia at the uh, Gold Symposium there. Uh, then a uh, honeymoon with my wife in French Polynesia. <laughs> so pretty, pretty busy. Where's month. home? Mexico. I, I, I spend most of my time in Acapulco, Mexico. Yeah. Okay. So you, you're not going back to Mexico until what, October? Uh, going back for the wedding. We're going to oh, get okay. married there, yeah. yeah. So that's a cool lifestyle. So you just sort of, you run your businesses and, and, and uh, do, your, do your speeches and make your investments and so on. You're a man on the move. Yeah, I can do everything from my phone or the laptop or the iPad. Uh, the technology now is amazing. And uh, yeah, I can, I can basically do everything from everywhere. Yeah. You're still investing in junior mining companies? Uh, not directly at the moment, uh, mostly as a function of I'm having trouble with a brokerage account at oh, the moment. Okay. So one of these typical, give us more documents or we're going to close your accounts. Uh, I definitely um, have been looking at investing in them. I have been uh, investing quite a bit in gold and silver for the last month. Okay. Um, Just physical gold and silver? Basically, yeah. 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 Um, I, I, I think there's, you know, I, I don't believe any of these stories that it's going much lower. I personally don't. I think this is pretty low as it's ever going to go. Um, and I think it's going to do quite well over the next few years. And the cryptos, I, I've been saying they're going to be volatile. So I actually sold a fair amount when the, you know Bitcoin hit 20,000 and all that. And I've been putting some of it back into gold and silver. And I just started buying cryptos again just in the last week when it kind of hit around 6,000 yeah. there. I think there's definitely a floor on Bitcoin, <coughs> 6,000. What's your, uh, tell me, which, do you like get into the altcoins? Have you got an altcoin that you like? And yep, um, I like Bitcoin, I also like Bitcoin Cash. To me, they're the same thing. You should own equal amounts of each. If you have 10 Bitcoins, you should have 10 Bitcoin Cash. Uh, there's still going to be some dispute about which one turns out to be the better form of money. Um, a big I one. I think the Bitcoin Cash people um, are, they're very well organized in terms of ensuring merchant adoption. Mm. which is going to be a big force for, for Bitcoin Cash, I think. Well, that was one of the big problems with Bitcoin last year is it uh, became too expensive and yeah. too slow to use. So that's why there was a fork. And um, even to this day, it's, Bitcoin is not perfect as money. But uh, a big one that I'm a huge proponent of is EOS. Okay, why is that? Uh, I've been following it since the beginning. I know the founder, Dan Larimer, who I consider Vitalik Buterin of Ethereum and Dan Larimer to be like the two geniuses of the space. 
Dan's already started up BitShares years ago. It did fairly well. He started up Steam, which is doing quite well. Yeah. Uh, and this is his big project where he's really putting everything he wanted to ever create in one project. And um, just seeing the way it's built and what's being built on top of it. Uh, there's no transaction fees. It's, it takes like a, a one second for things to go through. So even from that perspective, it's already way better than anything else out yeah. there. And then it's going to be like a, Ethereum. There's going to be people building applications yeah. on top of it. And the really cool thing about EOS is that whatever coin or application gets built on top of it, if you're a holder of EOS, you're actually a holder of those coins. Uh, so you're sort of like the owner of a mutual fund of thousands of other cryptos that are being developed, and some of those are going to do very well. Oh, I see. So you've got a, like a little share of everything that's, yes. that's developed on the platform. Yeah. That's nice, it, isn't it? It's a really interesting way to do it. Yeah. And it also gets around a number of uh, government regulation things because you're not really investing in those companies, right? So oh, he's been very smart in how he set it up. Now, it is an experiment. It's a brand new thing. Who knows what's going to happen? Bitcoin is an experiment. It still is. Fiat money is an experiment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's going to be going away at some point too. So, uh, but no, income tax was an experiment. More, it of was. A, more, more, of a, more of a fraud or a scam yeah. than an experiment. <laughs> they still get away with it somehow. All right, Jeff. Well, you've been uh, very generous with your time, and uh, thank you very much for for coming on the show. Um, why don't you plug your website and what you do and how people can find out more about you? Sure, yeah. If you're interested in the financial stuff, just dollarvigilante.com. Uh, it's also on YouTube. And uh, Do you have like an investment newsletter as well? Or? Yep. Uh, that's a newsletter at the Dollar Vigilante. So we have a lot of free information, but we put out two issues a month of our actionable information. And uh, that's like what, what crypto you're buying, what yeah. shares you're buying and that yeah, kind of thing? all that sort of okay. thing. And if you're interested in the freedom stuff, uh, we have a conference every year called Anarchapoco. We're going to our fifth year uh, in 2019. We're expecting about 3,000 people, and all, all libertarians, all anarcho-capitalists, voluntarists, uh, discussing how to create a new world without government, essentially. How are we going to do that? We're already doing it, actually. And uh, with cryptos, are a huge part of it, actually. Uh, Where are we going to? The problem is location. Well, uh, you know, anarchy is everywhere, really. This is anarchy right now, right? Um, we are anarchy we, in the four seasons. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little expensive, but you know. Uh, but um, we're also started our own country called uh, Liberland. I don't know if you heard of that. I have on the borders of Slovenia and uh, Croatia and Serbia. Croatia and Serbia. Yeah, and that's going very well. It's being recognised by numerous other countries right now, and it's an anarcho-capitalist, completely free, libertarian. Have you country. actually been there? I've been around there. It's kind of hard to get onto the land. It's okay. right in the middle of a river. Uh, and the uh, Croatian police haven't been too friendly about us in the past. They will okay. actually come and kidnap us. Uh, but it's getting better and people are building houseboats there now and, and mm. things are being developed right now. I do think that's the answer, is water. Mm -hmm. Because whether it's the sea, there's a lot of international waters and it's because the water, water is moving, it's often not quite clear who owns it in the same way that land is clear. And you find it on the rivers. If you go any, every, major every major river in every major city, the rivers are unoccupied. Because they, it, whereas once upon a time, you know, people used to live on the river, work on the river. Now they've put that, these kind of huge barriers up between the river and people walking by. So I'm sure the river is where the anarchist opportunity lies. There's another group called Seasteading Institute trying to put out basically seasteads, so build okay. things out onto the ocean. So yeah, we're trying things everywhere. I just came back from uh, uh, Sharan, Michoacan, Mexico. It's a town of 30,000 people, and they kicked out all government, police, and politicians seven years ago. Uh, it's a beautiful place. So there's places all over that are working on these but things. But if they want to succeed, me the Mexican government wouldn't let them, would they? Uh, right now they're not letting the Mexican government in there. 
<laughs> but they kind of like, if you want to go to like, if you want to leave there and go to the airport or something, how would you do that? I, well, they're still Mexican citizens, I guess, but they won't allow the Mexican government into this town. So that means no police tax men? Oh, no. Definitely no tax men. So what if you work for a company that is based outside of there? You still, got, you still get your income tax taken? I would uh, guess so, yeah. But are shopkeepers like collecting VAT or, uh, sales no, taxes nothing, on behalf? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. I'd like to go there. Yeah, it's great. It's beautiful. All right. Place. Well, Jeff, anyway, thanks very much. <laughs> Jeff Berwick, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.